The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourself to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in in the body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in this same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words, without words by the behavior of your wives. Then they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair or the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy woman of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we we come before your throne with thankful and grateful hearts. Father, we are thankful that you are a God who loves his creation and who especially loves his children. And Father, we thank you that we can come before you with boldness, and with the security of knowing that you hear our prayers and that you answer our prayers. And, Father, we thank you 
especially uh, for your word, uh, for the, the truth of your word, for the power of your word. Father, how your word through your spirit can transform lives. It can transform hearts, which transforms actions. And Father, we thank you that the, the power and truth of your word is working and is alive and in working inside of us to do your will and to, for us to, to know your will and to abide to your calling. Father, we thank you for the timelessness of your word. Father, this scripture we just read to many may seem um, old and old-fashioned, but, Father, we know that it is still timeless and it is still truth and it is still what we should uh, listen to and abide by and submit to. Father, thank you that there is truth in your word and power in your word that can um, work in our lives to... uh, Show your greatness and your love that you so graciously and selflessly showed us. And, Father, I just pray that as your, your faithful servant uh, speaks your word today, that, Father, it will go out in power and that it will go out with the intent that you intended it to do. And that, Father, if there is one here, which I'm sure there are many here, who do not know you, that, Father, your word will move in power in their lives today. That, Father, your word will um, open their hearts and reveal to them who they truly are in relation to you. That, Father, that you will call them through your word today by your spirit. And that, Father, that lives will be transformed. And that lives will um, be set free. And um, that, this, that this freedom will be used to, to, to be faithful and obedient ambassadors and servants of of the many gracious gifts that you give us and that we will use it, Father, to be faithful and um, obedient in sharing that with others that you put in our lives, that they too can be moved closer to you. Father, we do it all for your glory, and we do it in your Son's name. Amen. The second second part of what... um, Steve just read as our text this morning, so turn in your Bible to First Peter, if you will. If you are uh, new here, you haven't been in the last couple of weeks, or you just have been in the last couple of weeks, um, it's not like we're on some submission mission here at uh, uh, Grace on the Ashley. Um, <clears throat> we preach expository through books of the Bible, and this just happens to be where we are at, uh, at this juncture. And so, <clears throat> and I encourage you, if you missed last Sunday's part one of this message, I encourage you to go uh, watch it. Um, if looking at me for an hour is not, you know, not appealing to you, you can just listen. Um, but... Uh, the church YouTube account has those messages, and I guess you can get them other ways, maybe, Josh. Um, I'm so popular, I'm all over the Internet, so you can, um, you, you ought to be able to, to find it. And one of the reasons I wanted Steve to read uh, the entire section, um, because it all deals with submission. 
that's the key to this section for uh, ever since chapter 2, verse 13. It all ties together, and this section on marriage is vitally important. Quite possibly as much or more important to the life of our congregation than any other parts of this section. Because we have, as we saw this morning, a young couple come. We have a new baby. We have um, young families in our congregation who have young children, and the children add stresses to marriage, and, and there are other stresses to our marriages. And so... Um, it's it's not easy, is it? Okay, I heard one amen. Um, one honest person in here today. But you've been married five years, you've been married ten years, and you're just trying to figure out what it means to 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 to, to practice biblical obedience in your marriage relationship, and it's not easy. And so I do think that there, um, this is a key passage for us in the life and foundation of our congregation. And Peter also reminds us again, as I mentioned to you last week, that marriage, biblically, is between a man and a woman. Any other so-called marriage is not marriage. He's writing to a group of people who've been converted uh, to Christianity and converted to the Christian faith. And he's writing to these people who, who are a part of, the, of a culture steeped in pagan practices, false philosophies, idolatry, sinful lifestyles. And they've escaped the damnation of hell They're living the life with Christ. But as a result of that, Peter reminds them they are aliens and strangers in this world. And because of that, they suffer persecution. Because of that, they suffer false accusations. He said just because of their Christian beliefs and the way that they're living their lives. This Passage starting with chapter 3, verse 1. I gave you four points last week. We only got through the first one. Um, And so we'll finish up this section today. As we say in Charleston, come hell or high water. That was important. Those first two verses are foundational uh, to this passage He gives the women six verses, and he gives the men one verse, which is interesting. The reason for that is because of the cultural issues going on at that time. Yet the more I thought about it this week, all seven of these verses are for wives. The one, the seventh verse is is for men and women, wives and husbands, but all seven of them are for wives. And... It all applies to you wives. In the outline, we saw the silence is golden. God's command that silence is golden. We see God instructs the ladies that there is an ultimate beauty 
And we see that God provides supermodels for Christian women. And we see also that God requires godly leadership for wives. Just a quick overview of what we did with that first point. Um, Silence is golden. Uh, That verse is, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. John Piper defines submission. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. It's a good definition. You might want to write it down. It's a good reminder. In every sphere of of ancient civilization that these people are facing that um, Peter is writing to, women had no rights at all. Jewish law, uh, Greek civilization, under Roman law as well. A woman, for all intents and purposes, was a thing owned by her husband in exactly the same way he owned everything else, sheep and goats. There was no reason why she could leave him Uh, But he could get rid of her at any moment for any reason. Also, the wife in those days had to take on the religion of her husband. She had to, uh, the writings of that day teach us that she had to take on the gods that her husband was worshiping at the time. She had to take on the idols that her husband was worshiping. At the time, for the wife to change her religion while her husband didn't change his religion was simply unthinkable in the first century. So, this first phrase, likewise be subject to your own husbands, that was not a shock. Women learned that from day one, from the day they were born. That's what they were going to do as they grew up. They submitted and obeyed their. Uh, fathers, and then when they got married, they submitted and obeyed their husbands. That was a part of their lives. There was never any question that it would be any other way. This was not a shock to them when Peter told Christian women, be subject to your own husbands. On the other hand, part of it was a shock because it seemed to be encouraging the fact that even though you're now a different religion from your husband, it's okay. That was a shock. He's writing to Christian women. And even if your husbands do not turn to Christianity, even if they do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. Keep your mouth shut. Don't nag them about their Christian life. Don't, 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 what I say, don't put scripture verses on the refrigerator door. But it's your conduct, it's your respectful and pure conduct that just may win them. And even though in ancient society, ancient culture, submission was expected and required, not in ours. Peter's instruction for wives to submit to their husbands is totally foreign and even repugnant to the feminist progressive 
movement inside and outside the church these days. There are those in the church that see this. This is just a cultural command that really doesn't apply to us today. What applies to us today more would be what Paul says in Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Whoopee, even the feminists and progressives can get on that verse. The problem is Paul's talking in Christ... The woman has the same, the wife has the same access to Christ as, as her husband. But it's not teaching, even though they have, that they have equality in the spiritual realm, they don't have equality as far as function is concerned. In Christ we are equal, in function we are not. And Paul in Scripture as well teaches that, that which, which is even more confusing in this argument, that, that, that Christ, that, that, that God the Son submits to God the Father. That's a problem because Jesus says, I and the Father are one. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There is a perfect equality between the Father and the Son. And yet Paul says the Son submits to the Father. Well, that same structure between the son and the father is built into marriage between the wives and the husbands. A wife's subjection to her husband does not make her inferior. They may be the same as far as their spiritual nature is concerned as Christians. They are equal before God. But in order for the family to function in unity... Without the wife losing anything, she submits to the headship of her husband as Christ submits to God. As the employee, Steve just read it, as the employee or the the slave submits to the master, as the employee submits to the employer, as the citizen submits to the government. That's the order God has set up. And when we understand that, things become much more clear. The doctrine of headship and submission is foundational. And so he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. You don't have to submit to anybody else's husband. Submit to your own husband. And if they don't believe, if they're not believers, the prayer is that they might be saved by your actions. So that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Alistair Begg says the missionary impact is not going to come through the ears, but through the eyes. So your husband is lost. Or at best, he may be a believer, but simply being disobedient. At worst, he may be a pagan and just resents your Christianity. What are God's instructions for a spouse who just might be on the brink of despair? The instructions are submit for the sake of Christ. So after telling women, uh, Christian women, proper behavior of a wife, be silent, be respectful, be pure, then he goes on and tells them what real 
beauty is? What does this submission look like? Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. It's a tall order, isn't it? So you contrast the human societal values with what God values. And he deals with it negatively, and then he deals with it positively. The the word for adorning there, let your adorning, that the Greek word there is cosmos. Um, cosmos, that's, that, that's the word we get our word cosmetics from. Your adorning. So, and it applies to anything really that's used to decorate or to beautify. And you might ask the question. Does that mean we can't braid our hair? Does that mean we can't we can't um, wear our nice jewelry? Does that mean we can't dress up and wear our nice clothes? No, it's a heart matter. That's not what he's saying. Now, some people misinterpret that. There, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a Christian subculture, for lack of a better word maybe, that interprets it that way. Some people misinterpret say, well, no, you need to buy all your clothes at Goodwill, which, by the way, I buy some of my clothes at Goodwill. You need to let your hair down long and straight. You can't put on makeup and you can't wear jewelry and on and on and on. There are Christian sects in our society that believe this. They take the point of the woman being as simple and unadorned as possible. I'm glad we don't do that. Plus, if you take that interpretation far enough, it becomes problematic. Now, some of your translations might say fine clothing or define the clothing in some way. But that word fine, the translators just added that, to, I guess, based on their own interpretation. Fine is not there. It just simply says clothing. So if you take it to the extreme, as some sects do, where you can't braid your hair, you can't wear gold jewelry, and you can't wear clothes. That's a problem. So that's not what he's saying. He's saying the heart is where the beauty is. It's the heart. You can't put makeup on an ugly heart. And so the heart must be where the beauty is. He's not saying there's no place for outward beauty whatsoever. It just should never be the primary focus. Focus is on the heart. Now, the problem with women, especially women, is that Madison Avenue. Now, those of you that are young, that's a, that is an, actually an avenue. But it's also sort of a generic term for the advertising world. 
and women's style magazines target women beyond how men are targeted in this area, though that's changing too. Because the advertisers know it's a priority for women. You know why your clothes cost more than men's clothes? Because you'll buy them. You know why your jeans with holes in them cost more than my jeans that don't have holes in them? Because you'll buy them. Robert Mount says, Undue concern for external appearance reveals preoccupation with the superficial. Fallen women have always been preoccupied with outside adornment. Now, don't worry, ladies. Fallen men are preoccupied with their other sinful priorities. In fact, fallen men are preoccupied with their ladies' outside adornment. More than what's inside many times. John Stott reminds us there's a difference between making yourself deliberately attractive and making yourself deliberately seductive. You women know the difference, and so do we men. In Roman society, if you look at the art of the, 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 the statues, the carvings of these ancient times in Roman society, that was important. The elaborate braiding of hair, wearing of over-the-top jewelry. You see it in the art of the day. It was true for upper-class Roman society as well. Christian women, Peter saying, should focus on the inner, the hidden beauty of the heart. What matters to God is the godly character. And it's characterized by a gentle, quiet spirit. Paul speaks to all Christian women in the church in these same terms. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness and with good works. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Beauty comes from within. The godly beauty of a heart is what's necessary for a godly wife. And you don't necessarily see it on the inside. He says it's hidden. But the fruit, that which is hidden, the fruit that comes from that is a gentle and quiet spirit. And it's imperishable. It will never spoil. Ladies, that's an adornment your husbands will never tire of. It's imperishable. You know, it may, only, it may only take a few hours to dress for a fancy night out on the, ta- on the town, but it will take a lifetime to develop that heart. And it takes work. And moms, moms of daughters, be aware of what you do when you fuss with your little girls about their appearance. 
I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying make sure your priorities are very clear. What's better? Forming a child to become a prom queen or forming a child that's precious in God's sight? As I was working on this message Friday, I saw a tweet by Jackie Hill Perry. She said, The life I live as a woman will be my daughter's first introduction to biblical womanhood far before my words are. It's not exactly the point of this passage, but it relates to the point. It's godly behavior, not words. Gentle, quiet. What does that mean? Well, it glows with an inner beauty. It's produced by the Holy Spirit in your life. So full of the Holy Spirit that you have the qualities of gentle and quiet. You say, well, but I'm funny and I'm loud. What about that? I have an outgoing personality. You don't have to change who you are. God's working on that. Let God change you as you walk with Him. He'll make you someone who displays those qualities when those qualities are needed. He doesn't require you change who He created you to be. Gentle spirit, submit to your husband's direction. Now, that's not talking about passivity. That's not talking about a lack of personality. That's not talking about the failure to, uh, the, the, to express yourself. It's talking about your response once a decision is made. How you care for your home, a gentle spirit. How you care for your kids if you have kids. And a quiet spirit. What does that mean? No sign of rebellion, no sign of resentment, no unrest, making a peaceful household, those sorts of things. And even at that, it doesn't guarantee your husband's conversion. Although it may be the way that God uses to reach a man's heart with the gospel, with the word of God. But a gentle and quiet spirit, Peter's saying, is precious in the sight of God. It's precious. It's a precious thing. Because ultimately, it's not your husband whom you're seeking to please. It's God you're seeking to please. It's what God requires from all women of all generations, regardless of the effectiveness of winning over your husband or not. Matthew Henry said, Religious people, meaning Christians, should take care that all their behavior answers to their profession. You profess Christ, your behavior must show it. It's true for wives in this passage. It's true for all Christians. 
You look at those magazines at the checkout counter and see the focus on women's clothing and women's looks and the priority of those things in the world and the models on the front of those magazines. I'd never even seen that person before. Have you? You women need models. That's true. And you have some great models. And Peter recommends them to you in this passage. You have supermodels. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. He calls the women of old, the Old Testament women who submitted to their husbands. What does he call them? Holy women. Old Testament believers. Why are they believers? They hoped in God. They were obedient by submitting. And now Peter uses that word adorn, meaning something on the inside, an inner character that fills up a woman, a woman who hopes in God. And Sarah is the supermodel here. Sarah is the example, and he could have given other examples. Actually, Sarah is a rather odd example, to be honest with you. But he might have brought her up because we know from Acts that Abraham is the father of our faith. And so maybe he's considering, since he says children, maybe he's considering that Sarah is the mother of our faith. Who knows? You can adorn yourself as Sarah by submitting to your husband. And she showed respect for him in her holy submission. Peter says, by calling him Lord. I suggested in my house, your lordship. But I don't think Judy thought I was serious. She just kept laughing. Over and over, laughing. That wasn't submissive. (laughs) Well, the culture of that day, it was a sign of respect, not the culture in our day. Although it is Lord with a little L, by the way. point is, she expressed her submission to him in a way that's appropriate for that culture. And the single verse he uses is Genesis, out of Genesis 18. The context is she's overhearing, she's in the tent, and Sarah's overhearing these three strangers talking to Abraham and telling him that Sarah would bear a child within a year. You know that story, or many of you know that story. And it sounds like she's being disrespectful, but I think it's just the opposite. And she's keeping her thoughts to herself. You know, those things that you say under your breath are probably more true than those things you say out loud. Right, Counselor? She's keeping her thoughts to herself. But she says, Genesis 18:12. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out? And my Lord is old? 
Shall I have pleasure producing a child? She's an interesting choice, not for that particular reason. But you remember, she's the one who complained to Abraham about Hagar and Ishmael. And she complained about them, and she created the situation. She caused the problem. And she encouraged her husband to do something that was contrary to God's will. Overall, she did submit. She followed her husband. Genesis 12, he had a vision. God told him to move. Where are you going to move to? Well, just go where I show you. Hey, honey, we're moving. Where are we going? I don't know. She didn't have it easy. He convinced her one time in that same chapter, Genesis 12, to act as his sister. Pretend to be his sister. Genesis 13, she didn't respond negatively when he gave, he gave the best real estate to his nephew, Lot. Genesis 22, honey, I'm taking Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him. From her perspective, her husband may have been irrational, irresponsible, foolish. And in some cases, she may have been right. But Peter says she was a holy woman because she submitted to Abraham. Ladies, wives, she's not your supermodel because she had a perfectly secure marriage. She's your supermodel because she had an imperfect, insecure marriage. Maybe a good thing, good time for you to ask yourself, why are my models, who are my models for a godly living? Is my husband my priority? Is my husband at the top of my prayer list? Do I make life easier for him or more difficult for him? These holy women are holy women because they put their hope in God. They didn't put their hope in their husband. Even before their marriage, their hope was not, I hope I get a Christian husband. No, they put their hope in God. And you behave like Sarah and you're one of her children. See that? And you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. That, this is, that fear, that's not a condition for becoming a daughter of Sarah. You do the right thing and then you... You get to the point where you don't fear anymore. No, it's the consequence of living out the behavior that Peter's talking about here. The fear that he could be talking about is a fear of culture. All kinds of fears he could be alluding to here. But the fear of a culture that, that would despise a Christian and persecute a Christian. The, the fear of a culture that would despise a, 
a, a Christian who's taken on a new religion different from her husband's. The fear of an abusive husband when all of a sudden he finds out his wife is a different religion than him. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. Proverbs 3.25, Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. And more directly related to wise, Proverbs 31.25, Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. I don't care what the future holds. It's nothing to me. The future is in God's hands. I'm standing tall with strength and dignity today. Even in the previous chapter, 1 Peter 2.20, For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Under Roman law, a man could kill his wife without a trial. Fear nothing. Hope in God. Lenski says, The sense is that these Christian women are to let nothing terrifying frighten them from their course. Pagan women may disdain and insult them because they have adopted nobler wifehood. They yet remain unafraid. Pagan husbands may resent their Christianity. This, too, does not frighten them. Do not fear, wives. So you want to be a daughter of Sarah like this. And if you do, the world will unleash anything possible to attack you. Now, let me make this disclaimer. There's no reason for you to stand up to abuse. I'm not making that argument. Physical or emotional abuse. There's no reason for you to stand up to that. And then lastly, God requires that you have godly leadership. That a Christian husband provide godly leadership. He's telling the women of this church that if their husband is a Christian... Or when he becomes a believer by her behavior, because of her behavior, he requires that that Christian husband provide godliness. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. He says, likewise. He uses the word likewise there, or in the same way your Bible may say. What does he mean by that? That relates to a wife whose husband may be an unbeliever in the first first verse of this chapter, then the tables are turned. Husbands, likewise, here's how you behave if you become a Christian. And your wife is not a believer. 
Sometimes the wife and the husband are both believers. So he's writing to men of the church to tell them what their wives should expect of them, whether their wives are believers or not. And if likewise is referring to what it referred to in verse 1, those other points of submission prior to that, then he's talking about submission here. Wait a minute. Men submit? Yes. Doesn't mean that you submit to the headship of your wife. It doesn't mean that you submit to the authority of your wife. It does mean that you submit to the needs of your wife, whether they're believers or not. And this is difficult for us to figure out. We're dense in a lot of ways, but we're particularly dense when it comes to this. If she's not a believer, you behave the way Peter told wives. Your your talk won't win them. Your behavior will. Specifically, what is he saying here? Live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, you guys, you're looking at me like your, your eyes are glassed over. Like, man, is he speaking another language? And the tense there makes it continuous. Always live in an understanding way. And that word understanding is gnosis, means knowledge. Work hard to know her needs. And that takes work because we're clueless. And it takes hard work and it doesn't ever end. Some of you have been married three, four, five, ten years, and you're still working at it. I've been married 40 years and still working at it. Understand her in a way that you get her feelings. You're sensitive to her feelings, that you understand her personality more, her beliefs, her needs, her desires, her talents, her strengths, her weaknesses, her vulnerabilities. you got to talk. Oh, we got to talk. You're being disobedient if you're detached from her. You're being disobedient if you're uncaring, insensitive to her needs. Live with her in a deep, sensitive way, especially if she doesn't know the Lord. Be thoughtful. Be respectful. That's a leap, even for Christian men. And that was, that was the shocker of all shockers. That was not something that anybody in the society of that day, Peter was writing to, understood. And a man be caring and sensitive to his wife. Well, it's true in our day, too. That's, that's why the Promise Keepers movement was so powerful. It showed men declaring their love for their families and their wives. It showed men striving to be godly husbands. The world didn't know what to make of that. Still doesn't. Treat her as your treasure. 
Paul extends these thoughts in in, um, Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Each one of you love his wife as himself. If Sarah is the model for Christian wives, Jesus Christ himself is the model for us men. Secondly, he says, honor her as the weaker vessel. Understanding, showing honor. She's a weaker vessel. That's a a difficult thing to talk about in the 21st century. So listen, you tough guys who, who think well of yourselves. Weaker is a comparative adjective. So if they are weaker, you are Right. Weak. Don't forget that. What does he mean by that weaker vessel? Well, at the very least, he could mean physically. In most cases, husbands are stronger than their wives. He could also mean emotional weakness, which is why I'm still learning this. I'm not good at this. I'm st- at 40 years, I'm still... Here, amen from my wife. She was listening. Emotional weakness means the guys. That's why your words hurt her more than her words hurt you. Cherish her to the point that you protect her. She can be secure in that protection. She can't be weaker as far as stamina is concerned. Have you ever been in a delivery room when your baby was born? You bunch of wimpy guys. You could never do that. And then he says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Not talking about eternal life here because he's quite possibly talking about unsaved spouses. He's saying you do life together because it's a gift. Grace means gift. It's a gift. Life is a gift. And you're to do it together. Every aspect of it. Your companions, your friends, your partners. You walk this gift of life together. That's where our discussion on complementarianism would come into play. The two become one because even though they are one in Christ, they have different roles and those roles come together as one. You do life together as a whole unit. And just as the wife's attitude toward her Husband is characterized by submission. The husband's attitude toward his wife is characterized by sacrifice. You yield your rights for the benefit of your wife. 
And that could come from the most mundane thing to the most important thing. It's cold outside. Give her your coat. You're having financial challenges. Funds are limited. Forego any gratification for yourself and allow her to spend some money on something she needs or wants. It's a tall order. It's a difficult challenge. We aren't built that way. It takes hard work, and God commands us to treat our wives that way. But look what happens if you're disobedient. Since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, do these things. Understand. Show her honor. Walk life together so that your prayers may not be hindered. If you're disobedient, your prayers will be hindered. Not sure exactly what he means there. If you're not understanding, you don't provide for her, you don't care for her, your prayers will be hindered. It's not a good thing. The husband who does not treat his wife with honor will not get the answers to prayer as he would if he treated her with understanding and honor. Disobedience to the will of God regarding 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Disobedience to that word will hinder your fellowship with God. Protect her, provide for her, treat her with care and friendship. Then your prayers will not be hindered. And Peter is writing that so you wives will know. This is what God requires for you as a gift. Wives and husbands, pleasing God, desiring His will in this matter of submission is of critical importance for the life of this world, for the life of this church. And for those of you struggling... And I know you put your church face on. Nobody knows you're struggling here, right? For those of you struggling, your marriage is a wreck because you're selfish. It's stressful because you don't want to submit. It's stressful, men, because... You don't love her as Christ loved the church and sacrificed his life for her. It's a wreck because Satan wants to destroy families more than anything. He wants to destroy families because that's the foundation. Don't let him win. But you can't use him as an excuse either. You can't say the devil made us do it. It's hard to keep your mouth shut and simply live a godly life in front of somebody else without a word. It's hard to love her sacrificially and submit to her needs. Guys, just make it happen. Just put your big boy pants on and make it happen. Whether she's submissive to you or not, obey the Word of God. 
Ultimately, your marriage is not working because you're not in the Word. Ultimately, it's not working because you're not praying together. Ultimately, it's not working because you're spending your time posting something on Facebook or watching the game or playing video games or doing something else. You're not spending time in the Word together. The church does not survive if our families do not thrive. And it begins with wives and husbands. In a moment, we'll sing a hymn. Encourage you during this hymn if you have questions about the message. You need someone to pray with you. Some of our elders will be in the back to receive you and spend some time with you. Just make it a point to go back there while we sing. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your instruction and teaching. Thank you that it's a challenge as you continue to sanctify us and mold us and shape us into what you want us to be as husbands and wives. Pierce our hearts with the truth of these words so that we might be your people for your glory. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.